All right, well, we're continuing our series today, Epic, Great God, Great Stories, uh, by looking at another very famous Bible story. Uh, Last week, we looked at the story of David and Goliath, and today's story, I would say, is equally as famous. Uh, It's the story of Jonah, of Jonah and the whale of fame. Now, the whale, or more accurately, the, the great fish, Uh, is only part of the story, but it is a part of the story that is the most uh, well-known. The story is found in the book of Jonah. It's a very short book of the Bible, positioned between Obadiah and Micah, so I'm certain you know exactly where it is uh, now. (laughs) It has uh, four chapters, and uh, we're not going to take the time to, to read all of those today, even though we are kind of giving an overview of all four chapters Uh, And because we're not going to read it today, I would really encourage you to read it uh, this week uh, on your own at some point. But I will read some verses as we get to various parts uh, of the story. So I want to start out by just giving an overview of this story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the great fish. Uh, So the book begins by telling of a time when God came to a prophet named Jonah And told him that he was to go to the city of Nineveh and he was to preach against the city because the city's wickedness had gotten to such a level that God could just not let it go uh, any longer. They could not continue to be this wicked and not come under the judgment uh, of God. And so God wants Jonah to go and and deliver this message to them. And Nineveh was an especially wicked city. The Ninevites were Assyrians. They were just brutal people, wicked people. And, And upon receiving God's instructions to go to Nineveh and preach, Jonah immediately decided that it was a better idea to disobey God. And so he got on a ship and headed to the town, the city of Tarshish which is, in my opinion, the most awkward word in the Bible to say, Tarshish. Um, This greatly displeased the Lord. And so, if you're familiar with the story, you know that the ship that was sailing to Tarshish, uh, the wind blew up and a violent storm arose and and the waves became uh, so large that the ship was at risk of breaking apart and everyone on board uh, perishing. The ship's sailors, believing uh, that the storm, rightly in this case, believing that the storm indicated that someone on board had displeased a deity, they casted lots to see who might be responsible for the trouble that they were under, and the lot fell on Jonah. Jonah admitted that he was the cause of the problem, uh, admitted that the storm was a result of him, and so He told them, if you were to throw me overboard, if you were to throw me into the sea, then everything would be calm again because it is my fault that this is happening to all of you. The sailors didn't want to throw Jonah overboard, and and so they tried their best to row back to land, but the storm was too great. And so finally and reluctantly and through cries to God to not hold them accountable for this man's death, they did throw Jonah overboard. And just as Jonah told them it would, the sea became calm. And the Bible tells us that when these men witnessed this, uh, that they greatly feared the God of Jonah. They, They offered sacrifices to the God of Jonah and they made vows to him. 
And now we come to the part of the story that's the most famous. You can find it in verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Of course, this story has fascinated people, and there have been many depictions uh, of Jonah in the belly of the big fish that have been created. And I wanted to show you a few of the pictures of Jonah and the big fish today. So could we see picture number one? Looks sort of fun, doesn't it? <laughs> who, who wouldn't want to do that? Let's, let's see picture number two. Just very serenely kneeling and praying inside the big fish. Number three. <laughs> hanging out with his little fishy pals in the mouth of the whale. And my favorite one that I've ever found, picture number four. <laughs> uh, thank you for the lift. Aren't those great pictures? I don't think it was really like that. I think it was a little more, uh, shall we say, icky uh, than all of that. Many have debated whether this story tells of an actual historical event, if it relays an actual historical event, or maybe it's just a good story to make a point. Uh, we should accept it as an actual historical event. Jesus did. Uh, Jesus referenced the story. He treated it as uh, something that had really happened, and so should we. Uh, some have debated if a person could actually survive this kind of ordeal, and it goes beyond my purposes to defend all of that today, but you can pretty easily do a little research on this and, and see how this is possible. And in fact, there have been some claims of people surviving similar ordeals uh, even in recent times. And, and so what I thought might be good for us to do today is I thought it might be good for us to have a demonstration of what this might have been like. And so that's what we want to do today. You know, these pictures that we showed are just silly. We want to give you a more realistic view of what may have happened. So uh, imagine that Jonah, who happens to be with us today, imagine him swimming. Do you need more cues than that? Okay. <laughs> so, so Jonah is swimming, 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 fighting against the waves. He's been thrown overboard. He's trying to get to shore. He, he can't hardly stay above water, but he continues. And suddenly he gets confronted by a great fish. He swims, he swims, he swims, but he cannot avoid the fish. And eventually the fish swallows him. He disappears inside the great fish. Now, while he was in there for three days and three nights, we are told that he prayed to the Lord his God. And that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Like, I, I'm, I'm positive that the most committed atheist in the world would pray in this situation. And, uh, and Jonah... Uh, Jonah prayed. And I want to read the prayer uh, that, that he prayed while he was in the whale. It's recorded in Jonah 2, verses 2 through 10. Here's what he prayed. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. 
You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. What great thoughts. And God must have liked whatever happened with Jonah in those three days and three nights in the belly of the whale because verse 11 tells us, and the Lord commanded the great fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry ground. And I think we even have a demonstration of that today. Very good. Yuck. Let's give Jonah a hand. Whale belly juices. Courtesy of Alberto V05. So that is exactly how it happened. (laughs) And if anyone tells you differently, they just don't know their Bible very well. That's how it happened. All right. Thank you to Grant K. Hall. And why in the world did I decide to touch the slime? All right. So after this experience, uh, Jonah decides that it might be a good idea to do what God had commanded him to do. And so he went and he preached Uh, to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. By some estimates, it was 60 miles wide. And so we're told that that Jonah walked through the city for three days. and, And as he did, he was telling the people that in 40 days, judgment was going to become, they were going to be overthrown uh, for their wickedness if they did not uh, repent. The people of Nineveh, as wicked as they were, They nevertheless believed the message that Jonah delivered. And the Bible tells us that from the greatest to the least person in Nineveh, they entered into a time of fasting and mourning. They began to repent. And the king of Nineveh proclaimed to his city in chapter 3, verse 8, let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God might relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So the city received the message of impending judgment and they repented. Do you think people back then like to be told they were wrong any more than people today? No. No, we have this idea that, you know, People way back then, well, they responded well to being told they were wrong. People today don't respond well. People have never responded well to being told they're wrong. 
And yet, you know, you're not ready to repent. You're not ready to turn to Christ until somewhere along the line you decide you're wrong about something. And sometimes you need someone to like highlight that you're wrong about something. Sounds like a popular thought. (laughs) But this city received the message of impending judgment and they repented. And here's what happened when they did. Scripture tells us in chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. These evil, we're talking evil people. Some stories say that one of the practices that they engaged in when they would conquer another people is they would skin the leaders of the other people alive. These were wicked, evil people. But they received the message and they repented. And when people that were that evil repented, God relented. And God was compassionate toward them. God was gracious toward them. And this annoyed Jonah. I've called today's message, Jonah, the prophet annoyed by grace. Jonah was annoyed that God relented. He was annoyed that God was compassionate and gracious toward the Ninevites. In fact, he was actually more than just annoyed. Jonah was angry about this. Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by going to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. I knew that you're slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) If you're going to forgive the Ninevites, then just kill me because I can't stand it. (laughs) He is so troubled by grace shown to wicked people that he wants to die. That is a serious case of caring about justice. I mean, my goodness. And God tries to reason with Jonah. He asks him, is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah goes out to a place east of the city of Nineveh and uh, God caused this leafy plant to grow over his head and give him shade. And then the next day he caused the plant to die and Jonah gets all sad about the loss of the plant. He mourns over the loss of the plant. He's angry over the loss of the plant. And then God appeals to Jonah again to turn from his anger and he asks, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah persists in his anger. He says, yes, it is right. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. He he is really angry. And God points out to Jonah that he's so concerned about this plant that grew up that he had nothing to do with, a plant that, you know, just lasted for a short time, uh, sprang up and, and died overnight. He's all concerned about that but he's not concerned about the people in the city of Nineveh created in God's image. And God leaves Jonah with this thought. 
Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their left hand from their right hand and also many animals? This prophet Jonah had more concern for a plant, but God had more concern for people. The story leaves us with Jonah still angry, still annoyed by God's grace. And for all we know, Jonah continued to cling to his bitter resentment and never moved past it. Jonah, the prophet annoyed by grace. So that's the story. I think it definitely meets the standard of epic. That is an epic story. But but calling it a great story feels a little odd, a little uncomfortable, because in many ways it's, it's kind of an awful story. We want Jonah to be a hero, but he's not much of a hero. It is a fascinating story, and it's a story that has some really important lessons for us that I think are very relevant to our lives in 2017. And so I want to spend a few minutes here highlighting five lessons that we take from this epic story. First of all, I want to highlight something fascinating that God says about Nineveh. And speaking to Jonah about his concern for Nineveh at the end of the book, God references the 120,000 people living in Nineveh as being people who, quote, can't tell their right hand from their left. Now, this is not a particularly flattering description. <laughs> I mean, imagine that you come around the corner and you hear me speaking about you, and I'm telling the person that you don't know your right hand from your left hand. We're probably going to have a problem, aren't we? You're not going to feel very good about that. You are going to be rightly offended. But in the context that God speaks it, it's actually a very gracious take on a very wicked people. What God is basically saying is that the Ninevites are blinded. That the Ninevites don't see clearly. They are clueless and helpless in some sense about their true condition. Now understand that doesn't that doesn't give them an excuse. It doesn't give them a pass. Remember, judgment was coming if they didn't repent. So God does not excuse their ignorance, but God is recognizing that in some sense, they are victims of forces that they don't understand. And I think this is very helpful for us today. We have a choice about how we respond to the wickedness that we see around us in 2017. We have a choice as to how we view people who are far from God. We can view people as dirty, rotten sinners who are willfully standing in defiance against God. And, and I would say that those kind of people do actually exist. And that's the way Jonah viewed the people of Nineveh. But there's another way that we can view people in a way that is probably accurate more times than it isn't, and that is that we can view people far from God, even very wicked people, as people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. They're people who have believed a lie. People who have had the wool pulled over their eyes by the evil one. People who are deluded, not seen clearly. People who are victims of forces that they don't understand. And this approach does not exempt people from God's judgment if they don't repent 
people are without, we're all without excuse if we don't repent, if we don't turn from sin. But this view does enable us to see such people as God sees them and as he wants us to see them, and that is as people who are in need of help, as people who have bought the lies the enemy of their soul has been telling them from the beginning. It's a better way to look at people. It's a way that keeps our heart open. It's a way that keeps us desiring that people come to repentance because you know, the Bible does tell us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But if we're not careful... We write some people off as being beyond deserving God's grace. And God doesn't want us to do that. Here's the second lesson. God will sometimes apply pressure to get us to do his will. Pressure. Lots and lots of pressure. God is patient and gracious Not just with wicked people who are far from him, but God is patient and gracious to those who belong to him. But we make a mistake when we view God's assignments for our lives as suggestions, as optional. If God has called you to something, if God has clearly spoken an assignment to you, He expects you to carry it out. He's not called Lord and Master for no reason. If he says, go to Nineveh, he expects you to go to Nineveh. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, so I'll just um, summarize it this way. If you don't want to end up living in the belly of a sea creature, get busy doing what God told you to do. Obviously, I'm joking, not in a very funny way, but I am joking. <laughs> Hello. Uh, but obedience <laughs> to, uh, to God's assignment is very serious business. Amen. And so if you have an assignment from God that you currently are not walking out, you need to get busy. You need to get busy. Well, Brian, God told me to to wait and do it later. Okay, if God told you that, that's fine. But we're talking about assignments where God has said, go do it, and you're not doing it. You need to get busy. You need to do it now. You need to do it now. A good friend of mine who sits on the front row, Jarrell Godsey, shared shared this little thought with me that's always stuck in my uh, mind and Sometimes makes me more frustrated with my own children than I otherwise would be, but uh, it is (laughs) obedience delayed is obedience denied. And this is really good. It's a really good thought. When, When God tells us to do something and we delay doing it, that's not obedience. That's a rejection of obedience. So we need to get busy with the assignments that God has given us. Here's the third lesson and one that's so vitally important for us to receive. No one is too wicked for God's grace. No one. Jonah was annoyed by God's grace because Nineveh was so wicked. 
They were so wicked that Jonah was bent on their destruction. He wanted them destroyed. He he became angry at God because God was able to relent and show grace to people that Jonah was not able to show grace to. Jonah's attitude was that some people are so bad they don't deserve another chance. They don't deserve a chance to repent. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve grace. And sometimes we're like that. Sometimes people, certain people in our view, are wicked enough uh, that they shouldn't have a chance to repent. We, we think that for them, judgment should be certain and swift. So who, if you're honest with yourself, do you never find yourself hoping they repent? But instead, when you think of that person, you only find yourself thinking, I can't wait until they get what's coming to them. I'm certain somebody came to mind for most of us. And I'm so tempted to try to be funny right now, but (laughs) it's probably not a good thing, so I won't. But who came to your mind? Who do you think of and you can never wrap your brain around desiring their forgiveness, but instead you just want judgment for them? We think that because some people are so evil... And some people are so evil. Some people really are. We think that they should get what they deserve. But this story tells us that no one is too wicked to become a recipient of God's grace. God wants everyone to turn to him. He really is, as Jonah described him, a God who is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And so if we take no other lesson from this story today, we need to take this one. No one is too wicked for God's grace. If he can accept the repentance of the Ninevites, he can accept the repentance of anyone. Fourth, the story teaches us that God wants us to share his love for those who are far from him. You notice that God doesn't pat Jonah on the back and tell him he understands how frustrating it must be to watch God forgive these people. I understand, Jonah. Yeah, I, I, I understand. I really am frustrating you with this one. It, it, it makes perfect sense. No, he makes no apologies for relenting. He, he makes no apologies for not sending destruction. Every step of the way, what he does instead is he confronts Jonah with the reality that Jonah's attitude is wrong. And God wants every one of us who follow Christ to be people who share his love for those who are far from him, even those who are very far from him. You see, as recipients of God's grace, we are to be extenders of God's grace. We're to follow his example. We're to go around just extending grace to everyone that we can. How selfish it was of Jonah to want to withhold from others what he himself had been a recipient of. We may not think of it this way, but the great fish, that was God being gracious. That was a gracious provision. 
Jonah deserved to be left in the water. He deserved to die for his disobedience. The fish was grace. I'm not going to give him what he deserves. How selfish it is of us to enjoy grace for ourselves and then deny it to other people. Or to resent someone who's been a recipient of it, but we thought they were undeserving of receiving it. I think that this story reveals to us how we can know whether or not our hearts are aligned with God's heart. I think this story lets us know whether or not our attitude is pleasing to God, whether or not we share the heart of our Father. And here's the simple test that this story presents to us. We know whether or not our heart is aligned with God's heart by our attitude toward those who are far from God. If, like Jonah, we look at people who are far from God, even people who are truly wicked, and what we desire for them is judgment, then I submit to us that we do not share the heart of our Father. But if we look at people who are far from God, even truly wicked people, and our, the true desire of our heart is for them to repent and receive God's grace, then we share the heart of our Father. And so the question that this story challenges all of us to consider is which kind of person are we? Which kind of person are you? Which kind of person are you? Do you desire repentance for those far from God? Or do you desire those far from God get what they deserve? My hope and prayer is that every single one of us would be people who desire repentance and forgiveness of sins, desire grace for everyone who's far from God, even the most wicked people. My hope and prayer is that Vineyard Christian Church would always be a church that desires repentance and forgiveness of sins for those who are far from God. My hope is that we would be a church where we rejoice when Ninevites repent and God extends his grace. My prayer is that as recipients of God's grace, we would always be quick to be extenders of God's grace both to those who are far from God, but also to each other. That's a whole nother sermon. So here's a way that I think is probably fair to summarize the lessons that we learn from Jonah. Don't be annoyed by God's grace unless you want God to be annoyed by you. I liked that. I'm going to stick with it. I debated, but I think it's good. So there you go. And here's the last thing I want to share. All of these lessons that we've seen in this story today serve as an encouragement to every single one of us in here today who have messed up, who have failed God, it serves as an encouragement to anyone who stands today in need of God's grace, which really is all of us. If you need a second chance, God has a second chance for you. 
If you need another second chance, God has one for you. He truly is a gracious and compassionate God. He truly is slow to anger. He really is abounding in love. And he really is a God who like wants to relent from sending calamity. You know, some of us live with the feeling that God's about to lower the boom on us and God doesn't want to do that. God is looking for any excuse possible to to not send calamity. He wants, he desires to relent. He, He desires to release you from the condemnation that you live under. And so if you need a second chance, the story of Jonah and the Ninevites tells us that God has a second chance for you. You've not gone too far. You've not done too much. You've not sinned too greatly. If you need to return to God, he welcomes you. He welcomes you. Why don't you stand